Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the HR Cartel Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Dive. Thank you for joining me again. Before we get started, do me a favor. If you do like this podcast, you do like what we talk about, if you see any value out of it, whatever platform you're listening to uh, this right now, give it a like, give it a follow, give it a subscribe, whatever you want to do and share it with people that you think might find value in it. That will help us a lot. Thank you. So what I want to talk about today is the reason why the Fair Work Act is so scary to most employers. And it all boils down to this. There's one little clause and it's about, well, it's a very small section of the act. Um, it's about, let me have a look here, one, two, three, four, five. It's about six lines long and that's about it. So you've got thousands of lines in this Fair Work Act, but there's six lines, section 361 uh, of the Fair Work Act. This is the reason why uh, everyone's so, um, when I say everyone, I'm talking about employers. This is the reason why employers hate the Fair Work Act and why it's so stacked in the favour of employees. But you must know all about it. Now, I'm going to share the screen here. Let's have a quick look. For those who are listening only, I'll read out what the clause says so you can you can get the idea as well. But really, this is a bit of legalese, okay? Now, Section 361 of the Fair Work Act, reason for action to be presumed unless proved otherwise. What does that mean? It's hard to tell, right? Um, but essentially how it reads is that, um, so Section 361, the reason for action to be presumed unless proved otherwise. One, if A, in an application in relation to a contravention of this part, so in an application uh, that relates to a contravention of the Act, um, it is alleged that a person took or is taking action for a particular reason or with a particular intent and taking that action for that reason or with that intent will constitute a contravention of the Act, essentially is what it says. It is presumed that action was or is being taken for the reason or with the intent that's claimed unless the person proves otherwise. The person is the employer. A bit of legalese there, isn't it? Legalese. It's hard to understand and hard to follow along. But what that means is it's it's a very distinct method or part of employment law. It means that whatever an employee says, the commission must believe it's true until the employer proves it isn't true. Now, isn't that some bullshit? Maybe, maybe not, depending on which side of the fence you sit on. Uh, but... How, how it's kind of viewed is that the employer has all the power imbalance, right? The power is in, in the hands of the employer. They've got the money. They've got the resources. Um, they've got the decision-making authority. Uh, the employee relies on the employer to be successful, relies on the employer to pay their wages, relies on the employer to be compliant and make good decisions and all that sort of stuff. So, therefore, uh, the, the balance of power, the commission and the government, and the commission sees it as heavily in the favour of the employer. Ask an employer where the power of the, the balance of power sits. Most of them are going to tell you that the Fair Work Act is heavily stacked in the favour of the employee. Um, and you, you can't, you know what, you, you kind of got to admit that it is, right? Especially when it comes to this section here where an employee can be upset about anything, anything at all. And we see this all the time as a, as a practitioner, as a consultant in industrial relations and human resources. Most allegations, and I'm going to say, you know, anecdotally, let's say 
you know, 90% of allegations that the commission probably hears and certainly 90% of the, of the allegations and claims that HR departments or practitioners hear are usually not true. Now, that doesn't mean that employees are lying about it. It just means that they don't really understand what's going on. For example, you performance manager employee, this is what we call reasonable management instruction, right? You give an employee reasonable instructions to improve a certain part of their work or whatever they're doing that isn't satisfactory, and that employee doesn't take too kindly to criticism. And criticism is required for any healthy relationship to be a two-way street. Okay, there has to be the freedom to criticise. There has to be the freedom to talk about um, when things aren't going well, provide pathways for improvements and that sort of thing. That's performance management. When employees don't like that or can't really handle what's being spoken about or said about them, they think it's an attack. All kinds of allegations start to happen. Bullying, harassment, vilification, um, you know, this is only happening because I complained about my money or I complained about this. All those sort of things happen, okay? Um, there might be um, false allegations raised against a, a, a manager, for example. And HR departments, HR people, IR consultants, HR consultants, we've all got to investigate these claims. And I'm telling you now, 90% of them are false, right? But how do you handle that? How does an employer handle that? Most employers, especially smaller business employers, are scared to put a foot in the wrong path, in the wrong way, and come unstuck. Why is that? Because of this section. Because of this very section, Section 361 of the Fair Work Act. Because most employers out there aren't great at keeping records. So how else are you going to prove that something didn't happen when it's alleged? Opportunistic employees um, who have negative or bad intentions, and they exist. There are plenty out there. They exist. Um, They can see opportunities and in all honesty what what is it 70 75 bucks or something or 80 bucks uh to to put a claim into the commission um or you can you can even just fill out a form and say oh you know i I left my job because of the treatment i was getting so i don't have an income so i shouldn't have to pay a fee and the commission will usually stamp that and say yes approved off you go free claim why wouldn't an employee put a claim in why wouldn't they if they're an opportunistic employee that you're just going to try it out to see how they go. This happens all the time, right? Happens all the time. So, you know, it, it's a it's a very unique part of employment legislation, the Fair Work Commission, and how commissioners see things. Because if you see this, if you approach, take this approach in any other kind of law, it would be unfair, right? It would be totally unfair. I'm going to stop share, screen, uh, sharing my screen here. It would be unfair, right? It'd be unjust. It'd be unlawful. But in this particular area of law, employment law, it's reverse onus burden of proof. Now, you might be an employer out there who thinks, you know what, I, I, I don't want the red tape. I don't want the the, for, the formal approach of managing things and handling things. Um, and these people exist, make no mistake about it, the, the belief that if it's not documented and not written down, there's no record of it, then how can the employee prove it even happened? Well, they don't have to, right? The commissioner, if a claim makes it to the commissioner, because you, you, you your employee will put a claim in, go to conciliation, fails, fails to settle, 
eventually eventually ends up as a hearing, um, and now you're in front of a commissioner. This section of the Act, Section 361, requires the commissioner to believe everything the employee is saying without evidence, all right? As I said before, their view is that the employer has more resources, can afford to comply with the law, can afford the burden of the admin it requires to record, keep and, and to protect yourself or defend yourself. You're expected to. In fact, if you're under an investigation of some kind, let's say for an for um, underpayment claim and you can't produce records, that's actually a breach, right? That's a breach of your of your empl- the employer obligations. You're going to get a fine for that. Might be, I forget what it is, but it might be, it's, it's, it's higher than 60 grand. Uh, it might be 66,000 or, or something, whatever it is, but that changes, that penalty amount changes every now and then. So I could be wrong, but um, that's beside the point. You know, the fact that if something is alleged and the only way you can improve it is by producing documentation and records, but you don't, you don't have those records, you're in breach of the act. You're in breach of your obligations. Under employment law, you're going to get a fine. You're going to get penalised. And whatever the employee says about you is going to be believed. So here come some more penalties, right? That's kind of how it works. This is why employers are scared of the Fair Work Act and this is why they feel that the odds are stacked against them. Now, funny though, you know, because if we look at the Labor government that's in power now and look at the changes they've been making to industrial relations laws and that sort of thing, let's look at uh, enterprise bargaining, for example. This is fresh in my mind because I've been dealing with it a fair bit lately. Unions are going to be crazy and very active, so um, so we're getting drawn into a lot of union activity right now. But um, enterprise bargaining, for example, multi-employer bargaining and single-interest bargaining, now, if you've been listening to this podcast, you'd, you'd be familiar with the changes that, that rolled out this year. Um, as it stands today, the rules are, you've, got, you've kind of got three levels of, of enterprise bargaining agreement, right? You've got employee, employer, employer sizes where you've got zero to 20 employees. Um, you've got 20 to 50 employees and 50 and over employees. So that, that size of employees. Now, we're not talking about employees that are covered by the enterprise agreement. We're talking about employees numbers in total, the volume of employees you have. That determines where you fit in this three-tiered scale. Interestingly, if you're an employer that has less than 50 employees, as it stands today, the burden of proof to prove that you are not a single interest employer when a union alleges you are, that burden of proof is on them. They have to prove it. That's interesting, isn't it? Because um, in employment law, the, the Act actually says whatever the employee alleges, the burden of proof is on the employer. So I find that um, a nice departure, if you will, if I can find one in this uh, Labor government's IR amendments and the ridiculous volume of them. But if I can find a nice departure from that burden of proof and onus of proof being on employers, it's in there. Single interest, single interest bargaining means that um, a union can strike a deal, an enterprise agreement with a large employer, um, and then come to you if you're over 50 employees and say, uh, well, you've got a single interest. And whatever that single interest might be, it might be that you're both in the Westfield Shopping Centre together. You're completely different retail businesses. You sell different things, different types of employees. But because you're inside the same retail centre, that's your single interest. 
you can be drawn into the rates of wages payable um, in those in that in an agreement. Um, they might say, well, it's qualification based. Okay, you you employee mechanics, well, so do you. You're all covered by this agreement. Um, now, if you've got more than fifty employees, the burden of proof is on you again as the employer. And really, the only way in that in that scenario that you can prove that you're different and you shouldn't be covered by this single interest bargaining agreement is to open your books and disclose your IP and confidential information. Good luck doing that in a public forum like the Fair Work Commission. Um, and I've been, I've been on record saying before that I'm pretty sure that unions and some some sneaky, underhanded, larger tier ones are going to are going to weaponize that rule. Um, and put it, uh, make agreements with unions on the on the proviso they attack and target certain of the, certain number of their competitors to force them to wage fix, say so price fix the the, the wage the, the overhead costs the people overhead, um, and that reduces the the competition. Or alternatively, disclose your operations, show us how you operate. That's even riskier, in my view. Um, I digress. I digress. Don't get me started, but um, look, the, the 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 fact of the matter is that this particular section of the Fair Work Act uh, is not going to go away. It's it's the the basis of how the commission makes decisions when there's a claim put against you as an employer. You better understand it, and you better get your head around it because um, in all cases, in all cases, the best case scenario for you is to document the issues in your business. Respond to the issues and document the response to the issues. Act on them. Close them out. You're not required to agree with your, with your people. You can still terminate people who are real problems. You can still get there, okay? And, in fact, you should. You should. The commission doesn't have to agree with the reasons why you terminate someone. They've got to agree with the process. How do you defend yourself with the process? You've got to document the process you took, right? Um, so the reason why I harp on this record-keeping uh, document, um, document-keeping and documenting procedures so much is because as a consultant, you do come across businesses that are afraid to do so because they think they're going to be walking into a trap. Uh, but that's, that's the only avenue you have to protect yourself. Um, if you're a business who has problems, problematic people, and uh, continuous complaints and, and this sort of thing, whether they're legitimate or not, doesn't matter. Um, whatever the employee says under the Fair Work Act is the truth, as you can see, right? So you must, you must document these things, respond to them, act on them. Um, it's the only way you can defend yourself. Don't bury your head in the sand. So... That's a that's a strong point, isn't it? I wanted to make that point because, um, frankly, it's a common occurrence. When I get a phone call from, you know, these, these are from clients who don't necessarily work with me, but that they might be a new client. And typically the reason why a new client will call a consulting firm like mine is they've got an issue. Something just landed on their doorstep, a claim of some kind, and they're like, shit, what do we do? Call someone, right? Um, the very first thing they say is, well, they've got no evidence. They've just written a whole bunch of stuff in a form, signed it and submitted it into the commission. They've provided no evidence. They've got no evidence. They don't even work here anymore. They've been terminated. They can't even get evidence. Um, well, Section 361 
They don't need it. You do. Okay. Um, now, having that in, in, in mind, if you do have a claim on your hands right now, what's the process for claims, right? The most common types of claims in the Fair Work Commission are by far unfair dismissals and um, probably closely followed by adverse action claims. That's anecdotal. That's an anecdotal statement. I don't have the stats in front of me right now, but I'm sure we can produce them and they'll be pretty well true. Um, now, at, in both of those claim types, um, the claim, the first step of the claim is to respond to the claim, right? The employee puts the claim into the commission. The employer has seven days to respond to it. And at that point, you don't really need to list out all your evidence and provide documentation and all that sort of stuff. You're not at this point right now. You're not really trying to win that legal battle, right? You're just responding to the allegations raised because the next step is a conciliation, and that's uh, that's not mandatory. You don't have to do it, but as an employer, you should be there. Um, and why should you be there? Well, if you've got a, a claim on your hands right now and you're facing this particular issue right now, and you don't have strong record keeping. You don't have systems in place to capture when things go wrong, to capture what was said, to record um, even diary notes about conversations that took place that led step one, step two, step three, that led to this outcome of this person being terminated or whatever their, their claim is. Um, if you're not confident you can produce and stand on those things as a platform to defend yourself, you got to go to conciliation. Make a settlement, Right. Um, you may not want to, I know, it sucks, it's shit house. You, it, you're not admitting to any wrongdoing. But the fact is that if you've got a, a really aggressive ex-employee who wants to push this and they're out there, right, there are a lot of people out there that just will not, will not accept, even if you offer a settlement, they may not even accept a settlement. But if you're in that basket, you don't have those, those records that you can stand on and rely upon, don't make them up. Right, because you're going to fuck up there. You're going to make a mistake, and it's going to be known. Um, commissioners are very smart people. Um, go to settle. Go to conciliation. Try and settle it. Right, but if you don't have an issue with that, if you're not in that boat, don't settle it. Um, you know, go to the conciliation with confidence. Stand on your evidence. Stand on your process and your procedures. Many of my clients. Um, when they've worked with me for some time, at least we we set up systems, we set up ways that things are captured, we set up record keeping um, standards, and we automate things so things are captured as well, right? The little clients I work with, I can just press uh, print on a thread of my advice system, and it's all there, right? The whole history's there. Um, easy, we can defend anything, right? Provided we haven't done the wrong thing. Now that's not something I I, uh, I I I do. I don't I don't work with clients who intentionally do the wrong thing because I can't help them. So, um, but that's the idea, right? So if if you do have the confidence, go to the conciliation still and argue your point. Be clear, be concise, demonstrate the evidence you got, demonstrate why um, this claim is bullshit. And uh, hopefully it gets knocked on the head and it doesn't proceed to, to, a, to a hearing, you know. Um, so do that. But you've got to know that the burden of proof is on you. It's on you. Um, let's talk about an adverse action claim, right? Because if unfair dismissal will go to conciliation, if it doesn't settle, it'll be 
uh, kicked into the commission for for hearings and that sort of thing, right? Um, adverse action, what does that mean? Well, general protections and adverse action, they're interchangeable. It's the same type of claim, right? And essentially what it means is if you've suffered adversity because you did something which is a generally protected workplace, right? For example, I asked for more money. For example, I made a complaint. I raised a safety issue. Um, you know, there's a whole range of protected workplace rights that we can we can go into into more detail on that. Um, that's beside the point. Adverse action will follow the same pathway. Application goes in by the by the employee. The employer has seven days to respond. Goes to conciliation. Doesn't settle at conciliation. The commission will then issue a certificate for it to be kicked out of there and land in the federal circuit court. Why is that? That's because the federal circuit court can award unlimited damages. You don't want to be there. You don't want to be there facing that shit. So um, go to conciliation again. Go there. If it's an adverse action claim and you've in that boat of you know, the example we gave before with the employer that the employer type that doesn't really put a lot of value on record keeping and documentation and procedure and, and that sort of stuff may not have any sufficient evidence to say what they did or didn't do. Um, and if you're facing an adverse action claim and this employee has the resources behind them to get a lawyer represent them in the federal circuit court, because that's going to cost 20 to 50 grand, right? Um, and most employees don't really understand that. You know, an employee that doesn't have the ability to submit an unfair dismissal claim, let's say, for example, because they didn't pass the qualifying period, which is the first six months of their employment, that's why we have six-month probations, right? If you haven't passed six months continuous service, you don't have the protections of unfair dismissals under the Act. Therefore, they might go straight to an adverse action claim. And if you're not careful, and again, if you've got a um, an employee that's vexatious by nature and they're trying to trap you and walking down a pathway, um, they may even fence. They're not going to last after six months. They might start to say, hey, what about this safety issue? Oh, hey, can I talk about my money? Or things like that. If they're savvy and they've got bad intentions, knowing what's about to happen, they get terminated in probation period. Uh, but hang on, this is convenient. Just two weeks ago, I asked about the safety concern. I said, I said, I can't do this piece of work because it's not safe for me and you've got an obligation to fix that and make it safe. You didn't do it, or maybe you begrudgingly you did it, but then two weeks later, oh, I'm terminated. Oh, okay, right. You can see how easy it is to make a story out of that, right? Um, so document, record keep. It's very dangerous if you don't, and the reverse owners of proof. That's the issue. That's the whole issue here. So um this is why it's so dicey to be playing in the commission as an employer and this is why employers hate it. So, um, you know what, let's leave it at that. Just a short one this week. Um, I hope that's been beneficial and uh, I'm, I'm sure it has been because this element, these six little lines in the enormous Fair Work Act that no one really understands um, can do damage to your business. You got to know about it. One last thing, IR update. We're about a week away, I reckon, from hearing Tony Burke's the the Labor government IR minister 
from hearing the, the some details about the next lot of industrial relations amendments to come out um, towards the back end of this year. Uh, so uh, stay tuned for that. This is going to be an interesting one. It seems to me, it seems to me that this is going to be focused on the rights of union delegates approaching workplaces, workers, employers, and how much control they can get a hand, get their hands on at workplaces, how much more protection they can have. Um, I won't name names, but, you know, I'll give you an example. There's about four, there's about oh, maybe four or five union issues I'm dealing with right now for, for clients of mine, and uh, no wrongdoing is happening. It's just unions being unions because they're, they're, they're confident. They're cocky right now, right? You've got Labor governments in power all over the place. They've got, a, they've got a Labor federal government with their back against a wall because they gave them millions of dollars and helped them to get elected and now they demand payback by way of industrial relations law changes that gives them more protections and more rights. Um, I'll give you a real example. Just last week, a, a, a client of ours had to have um, a union delegate escorted off-site by police. Um, typical. Just t- typical behaviour, you know. Um, and then, you know, we've got others who are uh, trying to fool another client of mine, um, taking really, really strange approaches to um, communicate with company owners and try to trick the company owner to send out the notification of representational rights document to their workforce, right? The email just said, hi, Mr. Company Owner. Um yeah, we, we've been taking it. We've been talking to some people that employ boy. Can you please just send out this document to your to your workers? Um, that'd be greatly appreciated. Thank you, Mister Union. Um, that's pretty much all the email said, right? Now, this company owner doesn't know what that document is, but anyone that's uh, been around been around for a while knows that what this union did it was the ETU, by the way. What this union did was try to trick this company owner into sending out a document called the Notification of Representational Rights to their to their workforce. That document essentially commences the bargaining process. That document means if you send it to your employees, that means you've just given notice to your employees that you intend to have a bargaining process to get an enterprise bargaining agreement in place. This company doesn't have one in place, doesn't want one in place, doesn't need one in place, um, but has been hammered by this union for a while. Um, And... Luckily, he did give me an, he did give me a call and say, "What does this mean?" Um, so uh, he didn't send that email, but that's a trap, right? You send that email with that document in there, and um, you've now got you've now commenced a legal timeline uh, for an enterprise bargaining agreement vote to take place. So uh, very sneaky of the union there, very very cheeky, and the ETU is very sneaky. Right, we we know that their enterprise bargaining agreement they've got sixteen or so employers in New South Wales signed onto right now, is um, just disgusting. Really, it's it's ridiculous. Um, it sets it creates tiers of even in a union delegates. If you're a delegate, you get more money. If you're a member, you don't get as much money. You know, blah blah blah, all this sort of stuff. It's just a ridiculous agreement. Um, so. You know, and, and and the way they get those signed is that uh, they they'll offer you some some uh, assurances, you know, assurances that you won't be approached and harassed by them. But that's just bullshit. We know that. And here's another thing I saw in the news last week. I've got Victorian clients, right, who I've helped with uh, CFMEU issues, and um, 
you know, I was being told by clients in Victoria that bikey gangs are uh, approaching people saying, give us a hundred grand, we'll get you, uh, we'll get you a, a good enterprise agreement, we'll make sure you're, you're left alone, all that sort of stuff. You know, yeah, I, I, I know unions are connected, some unions are connected to, to underground uh, criminal organisations. Um, uh, I didn't give too much thought to it because people say that this sort of stuff for years. Lo and behold, in the news last week, a a, um, a senior Mongols bikey official joins the CFMEU. So maybe there's some truth to the rumours. Wouldn't wouldn't be surprised. And I don't I don't mean to make allegations there of anything. That's not what I'm doing. But you know, just putting two and two together, and um, and we can see what's happening out there in the wide in the wild wild world of construction right now. Um, anyhow, look, lots of stuff in the industrial relations world to talk about and going on. It's not going to end. Uh, the Labor government that's in power right now are really pushing lots of change, lots and lots of change. No one can keep up. Um, so all we can do is hold on and try and try and interpret what they want to do. So keep posted. Keep posted. Again, give us a follow. Give us a subscribe or a like, whatever platform it is you're listening on. That will be much appreciated and help us a lot. As always, go to www.workplaceas.com. Check out what we've got there, some free stuff, some downloads, some more um, podcast episodes and interviews that you might find interesting. Um, And as always, until next time, keep a tight workplace.